Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter number 1, in verse number 18, it says, This charge, remember what makes this book unique is the 12 charges that are given throughout the sixth chapter. That's a defining mark of first and second Timothy. There's 12 of them given. In verse number three, we looked at the first one. It says that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. In verses seven through 11, we saw that there's a warning given within that charge that some would pervert the law and teach it incorrectly that would be called wrongly dividing the word of truth in verse number 16 we looked at the pattern of long suffering uh, as a as a part of being in the ministry Uh, verse number 17 last thursday we looked at how all of the glory and all of the honor goes to god and him alone and verse number 18 points now to what is to come and so he says this charge i commit unto thee son timothy according to the prophecies which went before on thee that thou by them mightest war a good warfare and timothy is called to fight I am called to fight. You are called to fight. If you're a born-again Christian, this thing's a fight. It's not a carnal fight. It's a spiritual fight. You are going to deal with conflict always. There will always be a conflict. I'm just going to pray for the preacher. Please do. I need it. That he gets through this conflict. Please please do. I need it. Because I need to get ready for the next one because it's coming. Evil's coming. You can't stop it. This thing is the battleground. It's a war. It, it is a it's warfare for the Christian. It is not time. We're not going to retreat. Okay, I understand we're going to have a Christian retreat. No, I don't mean that. But we're not retreating. We are advancing. We should call them Christian advances. <laughs> okay, we're not on retreating ground. It's military terms here, folks. Military war. A good warfare. So let me ask you this evening. Do you have your heavenly armor on? How else are you going to deal with the scorn? How else are you going to deal with the mockery? How else are you going to deal with what the world's going to deal with? How else are you going to deal with your own doubts? You're going to need some spiritual armor. Well, I just need to have all the answers. You're not going to have all the answers. Talked to a preacher this week. He gave me some really good advice. He said, Brother Jimmy, you are not going to have all the answers to this thing. I thought that was good. That helped. That helped me a lot. We need to have our spiritual armor on. <laughs> That's what we need to be concerned about. You sand what it does when it rains. Brother Eric was praying and thanking God as a way of thanksgiving for the rain. And that in a beautiful aspect of how we can come to God and what he provides for us. But uh, sand soaks up the rain and God orchestrates these things through prayer and sermon prep and he brings us together and and then here we are 
uh, talking about how rain is just soaked up by sand. Yet when we see it drop on the rocks here in Tennessee, we see that the rocks repel it. The rocks reject the rain, but fertile soil will hold it. Isn't that something? And the fertile soil doesn't hold God's rain for none other than the fact for the life and the well-being of what it is dependent upon. <laughs> what is in that soil is dependent upon that rain. So my question for me and for you tonight is, are you fertile soil? Are you fertile soil? Are you ready to soak up God's rain? This is the charge. And it's not something new for today. Paul was giving this to Timothy. And now here we are as New Testament Christians as well with the same charge. We should teach the same old truths. It's spelled out. This verse ends with warring a good warfare. This chapter rather. I want you to hear in your ears now, in your mind, and in your heart. Hear the sound of the trumpet blowing. You know the, you know the tune for the charge in the military. Hear that ringing in your heart. Guard the truth. Keep the truth. Preach the truth. As a soldier and as a soldier out of Jesus Christ, I'm telling you tonight, don't go off duty. Stay on duty as a soldier for Christ. I know discouragement will come. I know there'll be peaks, but then you're down in the valley. Don't go off duty. Stay on duty. You're a soldier, and this is a war. It goes on to say in this verse, this charge, and then it says, I commit unto thee, son Timothy. That's his own son in the faith. We already talked about that. Paul's entrusting him with this charge. And he's saying to him, we see the phrase again, son Timothy, I commit unto thee, son Timothy. Look, you're my son in the faith and I'm pleading with you. I am charging you. This is precious. This is precious to guard. Precious, please. If I were to die tonight, I know where I'm going. <laughs> But if you're like me, you probably don't want to go there quite yet. <laughs> Unless you're in one of those valleys, <laughs> then maybe it changes. But if I were to die, this is the charge. Guard this book, keep this book, preach out of this book, believe this book. Don't teach any of the doctrine. We don't need a man behind a pulpit preaching truth void of or at the expense as uh, or at the expense at no other plan in place we need to be planning for the future so that the work of the lord goes on as a strong work we need to guard it we need to keep it we need to lay hold on to it we need to cherish it do you know how many churches have gone the way of contemporary and the way of the world after a good man of God goes home to be with the Lord. You know how many times that happens? 
this charge is a serious one. It's for all of us to take heed to. Now, here's something interesting that we'll unpack here in, in this verse. This charge I commend to thee, son Timothy, it says, according to the prophecies that went before on thee. Look at 2 Timothy chapter number 1, and I want to see if we can open this up a little bit. In 2 Timothy chapter number 1, watch what it says here in verse number 6, 2 Timothy 1 verse 6. Uh, it says, wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee. By the putting on of my hands, Paul, in this epistle, is saying he put his hands on Timothy. And Timothy got a gift. <laughs> now, you said you believe that? I do believe that. I do believe that. I believe Paul, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, could do that. It'd be real hard for a man to convince me that he can claim apostolic sign gifts now. He doesn't meet all the requirements. Paul did. But Paul lays his own hands on Timothy. Timothy gets a gift. And in 1 Timothy, uh, in this 18th verse, he says, according to the prophecies which went before on thee. That's an interesting verse. Uh, let's cross-reference as well with Acts 16 and see if we can pull out another little truth nugget, I guess, if you want to call it. Acts 16, look at verse 1. Look at verse number one. Now, keep in mind, he would, Timothy was ordained in 2 Timothy 1. Paul lays his hands on him. He gets a gift. Now look at Acts 16, verse number one, that he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, that's Timothy, the son of a certain Jew, uh, certain woman, which was a Jewish, and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was rel well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him, would Paul have to go forth with him? And took and circumcised him because of the Jews, which were in those quarters, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Timotheus here is following Paul around. He comes to Derby and Lester. Paul comes to Derby and Lester. Timotheus is with him. Um, we see we see about his mom and his father. Um, they're at Lystra and Iconium. And him, Paul, and him, would Paul have to go forth with him? He's, he's, he's hanging out with Paul. And these prophecies that are talked about, it says, according to the prophecies in 1 Timothy, which went before on thee. And then we see in 2 Timothy, he's got Paul. Paul lays his hands on him. Maybe these prophecies, the best I can come up with is maybe these prophecies are what the Lord showed Paul concerning Timothy. 
I believe that's what it likely is. Um, so that's the, the prophecies. That's the best I can come up with on that, according to the prophecies which, which went before on thee. While we're on this term of prophets, what do they do? Well, they'll foretell a future event. That's called future truth. Or they will teach or foretell present truth. There were prophets and prophetesses. Um, Philip's daughter was a prophetess in the New Testament church. So you can have prophetesses in the New Testament church. They would foretell truth. And if you think about what a prophet does today, he, he teaches truth. If ladies, if you're out teaching truth to someone, you're acting as a prophetess. I know we try to stay away from that term because we're afraid to be connected with any type of charismatic or weird or weird stuff. But as I teach truth, I'm acting as a prophet of God's truth. Now I'm not I'm not foretelling future events unless I'm teaching or foretelling what's in the Bible about future events. You see the difference? In the Old Testament, a prophet, it was considered an office to the nation, the nation of Israel. And the prophets in the Old Testament, when they had that office, they served as an oversight uh, over the nation of Israel. That's what a Old Testament prophet did. It was an office to that nation. That's not the case in the New Testament church. It's not an office. A prophet in the New Testament church, it is a gift, not an office. It's not an office of the nation of Israel, like in the Old Testament. Instead, it, it is a gift given to the body of Christ. New Testament prophets are not like Old Testament prophets in the sense that they exercise authority over a nation. No, we don't do that. What we do is we minister and teach within the body of Christ. So that's the difference between an Old Testament prophet and a New Testament prophet. If you have that gift, it's not an office, it's a gift you have, and that gift should be used not to order a nation, but to minister to a body. There's some men here that have that gift. They can teach, and, and, and they should be able to use that gift within the body. There's some ladies that can teach. They can teach children, and they're able to use that gift within the body of Christ. And that's the difference between Old and New Testament but if you want to claim the gift of being a prophet as a New Testament Christian, you must be biblical and you must keep what you say in, uh, in, in, in regard to what this book says. OK, you can't go off of this book and bring some additional truth or God showed me a vision or a sign and nobody can find it in the word of God. No. That's not the gift of prophecy. That's doctrines of devil. That's the charge that we're warned against. 
So you need to stick with the book. And that's why we want to learn the Bible. Okay, so the best I had on the whole laying on hands, the prophecies and all that. Um, but let's move on word and up. Let's look at verse number 19. It says, holding faith and a good conscience. So we talked about warfare, right? So you got two weapons, faith and a good conscience. You drop those weapons, you're in trouble, I'm in trouble. So you better hold on. Notice what's mentioned first, faith. Because without that, you are done, I am done, we are done. It's faith. It's faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Why is that important? Look at verse 17. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible. And that's something how God connects this. How are you going to trust the invisible, the only wise God? Verse number 19 tells you, holding faith. What is faith? The evidence of things not seen. What is invisible? What is an invisible God? A God that you can't see and I can't see. This charge has to do with us holding on to our weapons. I can't see what's going to happen. Good, you're probably in a good spot. To exercise faith. It allows you to trust the invisible God, verse number 17, as your source of strength. What follows faith, and a good conscience follows it, our moral compass. It helps us determine, okay, do I need to be on guard now? That's what a good conscience, that faith, that good conscience following faith will help you. Okay, do I need to advance with courage? Or do I need to stop, park, and pray? You need faith and a good conscience, the Bible says. You need a guard, and he's stationed to defend a fort. But a guard is no good if there's a traitor letting the enemy in on the back door. You know why the warning is given? Because some, look at verse 19, you better hold faith and of a good conscience because you're guarding the fort. You're holding the fort. But if you've got a traitor out back, letting the enemy, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. Because some want to make shipwreck. You better hold on to your weapons. I better hold on to my weapons. You know what some do? They put their weapons away. Some of us have our guns locked up so secure in a safe, and then in the, you get into the safe, you got to go into another safe, and you get into that safe, you got to grab a key, and then the key gets you into the back door, and by the time you get through the back door of the secret chamber, you're in there. The bad guys already come in and took everything and shot everybody up. I mean, what are you going to You better have some weapons readily available, okay? Somebody's coming to your house. It better be you get to your weapon in about a second 
or it's over. These things happen fast. If you if you if you've studied any type of combatants, you understand that it's boom and then it's on. You can't be fiddling around with a 16 digit code to get to your rifle. You better have a way to get to your weapon. Some of you put your faith and your good conscience all the way out in the backyard. <laughs> better hold on to those weapons. Better teach your kids to hold on to those weapons. Don't drop them. Don't cast them away. Which some, having swerved, it said early, it turned aside into vain jangling. So when we see this in verse number 19, at the end of this verse, where it says, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, it's a Bible warning. Gentlemen, don't start great, but end bad. Ladies, finish strong. Hold on to your weapons. Young ones, hold fast your faith, and your good conscience. A ship without an anchor is just going to drift into despair. Who's the anchor of our soul? The Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of people make a mistake. They just get rid of the anchor. Bad move. Bad move. No seaman would do that. No responsible na naval officer would do that. How much more should we be as responsible Christians? First Timothy chapter 1. We'll look at the last verse. My, my, my. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander? The Bible says, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander? Now, how about the truth here? God is naming names. God is calling out specific individuals by name. What does that tell you and me? It is okay to call out and name names. However, the entire chapter is not naming names and calling out people. Do we see this? So now let's draw the lens back and let's look at the chapter in its entirety. We see one, we see half of a verse is dedicated to God calling out people that are making shipwreck. That's a half of a verse out of 20 verses in a chapter. So what am I saying? I'm saying it is okay to name names. But if that, is the if, if that is the entirety of your ministry or my ministry or our ministry, we are making shipwreck. It needs to be done when needed, but it should not be the entirety of someone's ministry. It wasn't of Paul's. It wasn't of Timothy's. It should not be of ours because it's not of God. I've heard things over the years, I'm sure you have, whether it's on the radio or a podcast or now the internet, social media, YouTube, all of that, where people's ministries are just dedicated to hit pieces on other preachers, hit pieces on other men. There's a place for that. 
But if that's all that it is, I would submit to you tonight, it would be out of place, out of context. Don't shy away from it, but put it in its proper context. Go to 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1 is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. This is a church. These are believers. If you were part of that church, you would be called brethren. It, it, this is this is Christ's church. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Thank God I'm not pastoring a church that acts like they acted in Corinth. But guess what? Somebody today is. Somebody today is. There's fornication among them. And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. What is it? That one should have his father's wife. They're doing stuff that they're calling out. Look, unsaved Gentiles aren't doing this junk. Wicked stuff. And you're puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that's done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done, that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, that's the church, when they're gathering together. And my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, like if we're doing this tonight, gathering together. Bible says in verse 5, to deliver such an one unto Satan. Watch this. For the destruction of what? The flesh, not his soul. His soul is saved. He's considered part of the church. It says for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glory is not good. No, you're not the whole leaven, leaven and the whole lot. Why do you have to? Why do I have to? Why do we as a New Testament church have to? Remove somebody from fellowship at this local assembly as we gather together if they're a fornicator. Well, because the Bible tells us to in this chapter. But also because other ladies are at risk of being hurt and preyed upon. So God says you get that man out of it. He doesn't leave the body of Christ. His soul is saved. But your flesh is your problem. You're making shipwreck of it. You can't keep your body under subjection. And you're going to harm the flock. So he's got to go. He's got to go. Because if not, that little leaven, it's only a matter of time until it leavens the whole and you and I have all heard stories about how something has been left going. But look, this man doesn't leave the body of Christ. It says for the destruction of the flesh. You've got to call out sin within a local assembly. Because if you let sin go, you're going to end up with the church being led by Hymenaeus's and you don't want that. Because he's going to find his buddy Alexander. And those two are going to just have at it. 
you got to keep it in check. You got to go to Second Timothy chapter two. And look, preachers, you know, I want to get into the ministry. No, you were at a meeting where it was all uh, rallied up, and there was some good preaching, and everybody was amen, and all the preachers were there, and it was a great time. And you want back, <laughs> okay? That's not the ministry. You know what? Nobody wants to deal with Alexander and Hymenaeus. Nobody wants to deal with First Corinthians five guys, fornicators. That is not why we get into the ministry. Teaching the Bible is not the hard part. The hard part is the Hymenaeus and the Alexanders. And, and Timothy is closing out this chapter. I'll ask you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to come back to specifically why Hymenaeus is such a problem. Because in New Testament churches, there are two problems, two categories of problems. We looked at fornication. That's a pretty physical, it's a sin of the flesh. Physically, everyone can understand what that is, and someone physically is affected by that. There are other sins that Hymenaeus is, is committing that has to do with spiritual, that create spiritual problems for people. And so what Hymenaeus was doing to break up the flock is revealed to us in 2 Timothy chapter number 2. And it says, uh, well, verse back up to verse number 15, because this is absolutely key. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman need not be in a shame, rightly dividing the word of truth. Why? Because you are about to learn about the spiritual danger connected to people like Hymenaeus. You better study your Bible. And I'm going to show you why. Study, 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 study. Why well, we got a, a, a quiz on this Sunday for uh, the two test Bible students. And it's, it's you've got to study. You've got to know the text. You've got to know the Bible. Because I'm going to show you how slippery and sly false doctrine creeps in. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Verse 17, and their word will eat as doth a canker of whom in, is Hymenaeus and Philetus. Hymenaeus had himself a couple of bodies. Philetus is one of them. Who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrew the faith of some. What is Hymenaeus doing to bring shipwreck to people? He's teaching them that the resurrection is already past. Man, what in the world's that? What in the world's that? How can you teach that the resurrection is already passed and you don't have to worry about that? And Christians don't have to worry or be concerned about that. How can he do that from the Bible and convince Christians of false doctrine? Well, it's easy. All you do, go to Ephesians 2. All you do is convince them that the first resurrection was spiritual. How do you do that? You do that in Ephesians. 
How many of you believe that you're going to get a bodily resurrection someday? Yeah, amen. We are. We are going to get a bodily resurrection. Hymenaeus didn't believe that. Now it's already passed. How does he get away with that? He goes to Ephesians 2 and he'll say something like this. Uh, verse number five, even Ephesians two, verse five, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace, you saved. Uh, by grace, you are saved and hath raised. See this and hath raised us up together. That's a resurrection has hath raised us up together. Did you trust Christ? You've been raised up. Is that your resurrection? Well, you see, it's already passed. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See that? You've been raised up. That's your resurrection. It's already passed. You're already sitting together in heavenly places. So what did he do? He used the Bible to confuse believers. Well, no kidding. We have a spiritual resurrection. Our baptism signifies we are risen with Christ, a new creature. We live for Christ. But look, we still have a bodily resurrection that is to come. I'm an to believe that. I want you to believe that. I'm sure you do. And the big reason is because the, the, the chapter closes out and it says, whom I delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Same idea, destruction of his flesh, not his soul. Apparently he's he's a believer. He's hanging out with Paul. Maybe he got confused on something. Maybe he's not a believer. I don't know if I have a hard and fast answer. You dig in the word. See if you can figure that out. But you know what uh, Hymenaeus is root problem is blasphemy. When you teach that the resurrection is past and it's spiritual only, that's blasphemy. Why? Because we have a bodily resurrection that we are promised. Um, a few things we'll just close out with, a few thoughts. Number one, um, it says, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander? Alexander, uh, the coppersmith, is mentioned in 2 Timothy 4. He's, uh, Alexander is mentioned in Acts 19. I don't know if it's the same Alexander or not that we see here, but we see that name mentioned. It could be. Maybe it's not. I, I can't tell either way. But what I can tell for sure, and I believe where the root truth of the doctrine is, we got to be careful that we don't get fooled by looking at just one verse of scripture, like Hymenaeus would do, at the expense of additional truth. Because you can say something true and then make a false conclusion after that truth. Did you have a spiritual resurrection? Yes. But not only. You will have a bodily resurrection. That has not passed. You will have a bodily resurrection. We must believe in that. The goal for us, as we close out, just a few closing thoughts on this, is to promote godly edification through a pure heart and a good conscience. 
First Timothy teaches us, don't teach any other doctrine, no fables, no endless genealogies, no vain janglings. All that is rabbit trails and causes confusion. If we're not careful, we can end up following the will of man if we lose a pure heart and a good conscience. And all that does is open up the door to Satan. It opens up the door to Satan because we're not in full communion with God. And then we just start inventing stuff. And we make that stuff more important than God. And before we know it, we end up exalting ourselves above God. What do you mean people invent stuff? Well, turn on the news. Find a conspiracy theory. Fight about the shape of the earth. You just got to find something where it's just going to get you down a rabbit trail. The next thing you know, you've just dropped your weapons. We've got a more important battle. And people get mixed up in this stuff all the time. And I don't know. I, I just, I'm just not convinced it comes out of a pure heart and a good conscience. Satan has absolutely no power over his church. We must get this. The church is protected by God. You and I. As part of his body, we don't have to worry about the gates of hell prevailing against what we're a part of. We never have to worry about that. But individually, Satan can tempt us. He has no power over Christ's church, but he will try to tempt you through the flesh and all sorts of things. We need to be on guard. This is why church members, me as a pastor, Church leaders must study their Bible. You must know the word. Because you've got to be able to guard against Hymenaeus Alexander. You have to. And church members can't rely on the pastor to know everything, have an eye on everything, because when I'm looking that way, that's going on. When I turn and deal with that, that's going on. And then at the end of the month is, well, it's just really all these things. And we, Well, how come you didn't have an eye on it? Well, you're the pastor. Oh, okay. Well, the pastor, that's not how the body functions. Churches need more strong members. I know you can make the argument they need more strong pastors, too. Sure, they do. But I know some strong pastors, some good pastors, some good men of God. They're not the problem. The members need to study the word. The members need to know what's going on with Hymenaeus. Well, we need to call the pastor. Why? You got the same book I got. <laughs> Why do you need to call me? Well, you're the pastor. Okay, I understand that. I understand. Look, I get it. I'm not saying don't call me if there's a problem. I get it. It's just the mindset that the pastor is supposed to be able to figure every situation out. You figure it out. And then when you can't, come to me. I figure it out. And then when I can't, I come to you. Hey, brother, I'm struggling with this. Can you help me? Well, no, you're the pastor. Figure it out. Nobody would say that. All right, I've ranted it. Where does the error begin? Not in the head. 
the heart. Without a good conscience, you lose communion with God. And then the shipwreck. When shipwreck happens, the idea is to restore the broken and get the ship back into working. The goal is always grace can work. It still does work. Prayer still works. Let's try to find a way to restore. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.